we're going to go ahead and get started, though, and uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into page 22 on issue one in your notebooks, okay? Father, I thank you for these brothers and their desire to grow in you and to learn of you and to be used by you to uh, lead your people. So I thank you that we can have these sessions together, and we ask that you will bless them. You will bless our camaraderie with one another and that you will uh, bless our, our knowledge, that we will expand our knowledge, that our knowledge will be accurate, and then we'll use it in a way that's wise and pleasing to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, sir. Welcome. How you feeling? Are you recovered? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Okay. Page 22 is where the uh, discussion for this issue on God's reign is. So what we'll do each week, as I explained last week, is we'll come together and we'll go to the discussion section of the issue. And the discussion and its profitability depends in large part on participation. So uh, don't be shy about participating and offering your observations about uh, the, the questions. The assumption is that you've done your best to do the first four steps in the uh, in the in the issue there'll be some weeks as i said last week where you're not able to do that and uh, that's that's fine i'd encourage you to come anyway and profit from the discussion and there might be some things that you feel like you can jump in on yes anybody need a pen anybody else some things you feel like you can jump in on even if you haven't had time to do the the lesson but most weeks you know please make the effort to do those first four steps and then we'll have the discussion together before we discuss these six uh, questions together, hey man, page 22. Uh, before we do that, let me just uh, say a little bit about the value of having uh, an issue like this in a book that is themed as this one is. The theme is, as the title suggests, the, the mission. And so it is the mission that God has given for his, his church. That's what we're going to be looking at together for these 12 sessions. And the very first issue is God's reign, and it's giving you the, the big picture. In fact, the one article, fairly lengthy article, was called that, the big picture. Uh, so the value in getting a handle on the big picture uh, is, I think, not only uh, is it helpful, I think it's crucial for you to have, all of us to have the, the big picture of any endeavor we undertake. It's our hope that, out of this group, that if you're not already leading in ministry, that you'll consider leading in ministry and that God will move you in that direction. Even if you don't end up doing that, uh, this will profit you because you never have wasted your time when you're learning God's Word, of course. But uh, that's, our, that's our hope. And if that's the case, if you end up leading an area of ministry, it's important for you to know how that area of ministry fits into the big picture, not only of our church, but then for our church to know how what we're doing fits into the big picture of what God's doing in his, in his world. So I appreciate the fact that uh, these guys have started with the end in mind, that they've started with the big picture, which is about God's, God's reign. And then as we move forward, we'll be able to narrow uh, down toward our own church and the mission for our church in light of the mission for the overall church that God has. So that's the idea. And I think, as I say, in any organization... If you have that, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very helpful thing. If you think about uh, your work, that to the extent you know what the enterprise is about, <laughs> what, the, 
what the organization is about and how what you do fits into that, then it makes your work more meaningful. It, may, it helps you to make decisions about things you should do or things you should not do because you can evaluate whether or not uh, a certain proposal fits into uh, the overall purpose. Most companies do a lousy job of telling people what their, their purpose is. Your purpose is to do what you're told <laughs> and to sit in that cubicle or run that machine or whatever it is. But the companies that have it together, and there are a few uh, that I've seen, that they try to give their uh, employees an idea of what we're about, what we're trying to accomplish, and give them the uh, the feeling that they fit into that, that they're an integral part of moving the organization toward its toward its purpose. So that's what these guys are trying to do trying to do here. So let's discuss together then what you uh, read in the grasp the uh, issue. It's got the case studies. It's got those sound bites. It's got some passages to look up where Jesus talked about uh, the kingdom is like these things and answer a few questions. And then you had uh, step three, consult other sources, uh, two articles, the big picture article and then a short one by John Piper. And then step four is form a response. So I don't know how much of that you guys were able to do. I'm not going to ask on any given week. But in, in, in so doing, you then are prepared to uh, discuss these questions. So let's do that. Uh, top of page 22, think about the two case studies. What conflicts did uh, Frank and Loretta face, and how did they how did they resolve them? So you remember the stories of Frank and Loretta. Um, Loretta is this uh, missionary, single gal, thirty-seven missionary to Paris. <laughs> she's been home for a while. Now she's leaving her home church, and uh, in leaving uh, her home church, she's got mixed emotions. Uh, so the article, the case study, talks about that. Um, and then uh, Frank is a guy that lost his wife uh, to divorce because he was more interested in his toys than he was in than he was in her and the and the family. And he had told her at one point, "I don't want to have kids uh, because uh, it's a lot of responsibility." Which means, uh, in the article, it says uh, interpreted to mean uh, that's it's it's a big mess <laughs> to uh, to have kids. They make messes of my toys. So, you know, this is, this is where he was, but then, you know, God's moving in his life so that he's working in the lives of some, some kids. So those are the articles. Now, what conflicts did they face? How did they resolve them? What did you come up with on that? Sir? Yeah, please. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Loretta talks about her Yankee church in Seattle and mm. she has all these guys that like her and mm. on the surface that seems really cool and same with Frank he's got all the cool cars right. who wouldn't love a shiny flashy BMW you know? <laughs> I go on to say that it probably would have left them empty in the end and had they really desired those things Loretta would have never got on the plane Frank would have never had the kids in the back seat of the car to begin with mm. I just wrote that I feel that because they were not. Hey, Don. In, in a sense, kind of what I put is that they were listening to the genuine calling to have the Lord. Hmm. And then I put they resolved their issue of the conflict ultimately by going into the vineyard, by yeah. actually purchasing the field that had 
Right. Yeah. Good man. Yeah. Hey, sounds sounds good to me. Now, no, that's pretty thorough as well. Nobody else is like everybody else is going to say yeah what uh, Carl said. <laughs> now it's very good, Carl. Thank you. Thanks. So you know they have this uh, conflict, very as I say, very thorough, and I mean that uh, between uh, you can fill in whatever uh, adjective you want, but uh, between uh, or descriptor you want comfort. You know, versus ministry, and they're faced with that conflict. Both of them, you know, they've got their own idea of what comfortable looks like, and yet they're being beckoned to something more noble, something higher than that. And so that creates uh, that creates a conflict for them, and it's uh, almost without exception that you have that that you have things that are lesser that are luring you that you have to evaluate their value versus God's mission. And God's mission might be less flashy than the cars and all of that, uh, but you have to make an evaluation about uh, what is most valuable. And so that's what they're having to do. And then you have to resolve that. Well, what am I going to do in light of that uh, distinction between comforts, and ministry. And these guys resolved it by pursuing ministry, both of both of them. So a happy ending for both of them. Well, yeah, go ahead. I sort of saw the red as it seemed like she was one that did things because duty to do it. It almost didn't sound like she had the heart to do it. Whereas... Yeah. Well, it's good. Uh, so you guys remember Loretta's thing then? And then she says that when she gets on the plane, uh, the article says that she uh, is doing this because she senses that this is where God wants her to be, right? And uh, so she says that, but it could well be that her heart's not in it. It's just that, you know, God's kind of forcing me to do this, <laughs> I feel like, and so I have to, I have to do it. So, you know, Dave, you may, you may well be right with that. So let's assume that. So did she make the right choice then by going back to uh, back to France? Let's assume you're right. Let's God tells you to do it. I mean, Noah didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah didn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, she has to do it, but this, uh, this, uh, that raises a larger issue, and that's what always happens with these discussions. They branch out into other things. But, you know, in Jonah's case, you know, God speaks to him, and God tells him, go to Nineveh. But God hasn't spoken directly to Loretta. So Loretta has to now figure out circumstances and make decisions based upon principles. So she, you know, she says, "I think God wants me here." She, she 
She's got a conviction that God wants me here. Yeah. So how has she arrived at the, I wonder, I wonder how she's arrived at this, this conviction that God wants her there. See, we, 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 we think God calls us to particular places. Um, and, uh, and, and that raises a question of how would you know if God's calling you to a particular spot? How would you? I've had it in my life where people say, I feel God's leading me this direction. Yeah. And who are we to argue what God's telling them to do? Yeah. But I think in the long run, they'll realize if it was God's will or not, how it's played out. Mm. Well, yeah. To me, that, that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, it, it now, you know what, Aaron? Aaron, look, just tell us what you think, all right? <laughs> To me, that's the greatest job here right now I can have because mm-hmm. I like little kids and I like to play. Well, mm-hmm. So, but I, I, is that a ministry? Heavens to Betsy, no. Why not? Well, to me, it is not a ministry. You're, you're, but but, it but it's great because I love it. I'll take good care of them and I won't hurt anyone. But anymore. you're an adult showing God's love to them. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it, if your heart's not in it, how can you do a good job? But I think God could direct us into a ministry that maybe our heart's not right in it, but we can pray for the change that get me excited or, you know. I just think Moses was reluctant. You guys can just jump in. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that, and then you're going to jump in, and I'm going to slap you down. You know what I mean? I was thinking of that very passage, honestly. So thank you for bringing it up. So you guys will look at me as soon as he says that. So what does that mean? And these guys all go and look at me. So I'll resist the temptation to jump in every time and give my two cents. Although I'll give my two cents. But uh, but that's uh, that, those are good questions. Uh, and let's uh, try to resolve as many of them as we can in the time that we have.
So, you know, what we're saying is if your heart's not in it, but we've got to be, we, we need to think about that. Because as Bob's pointing out, you know, Jesus went through that uh, on the night before he was crucified, where he's saying, I don't want to do this, you know. But it's, it's needful for the sake of other people. And Hebrews 12 says that uh, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. So even though the particular thing you don't want to do, there's a larger picture. And because of the larger picture, because of the joy set before him, because of what's going to come out of this thing, I'm willing to do it. And that, I think, happens with us sometimes, where there's a sense in which your heart's not in it because it wouldn't be your top choice. It's not the thing that really gets your crank going. But it's needful for the sake of other people, for ministry, for service to other people. And you know that God is going to be pleased if you're willing to use what he's given you for the sake of other people. I mean, I'm telling you, you know that. (laughs) But that's, God is pleased when we use what he's given for the sake of, for the sake of others. And uh, we know that God will use that. And so Loretta knows that God's going to use this. You know, so her heart might, her heart might not be in it. You may be right. Uh, but nevertheless, God's going to honor the fact that she's using her gifts for the sake of other people. To put it in biblical language, she's placing others before herself. And that's a concept you see in Scripture often, right? So, I mean, that's one thing that we should grapple with. And guys, there's going to be times where you don't feel like doing something, but it's necessary. Uh, and I think the example of Jesus is a very good one. You know, all of the characters in Scripture had situations that were not ideal, to put it mildly. But they did them, but they did them for a larger purpose. You know, you look at Hebrews chapter 11. And by faith, by faith, you know, faith's hall of fame. But these are all people who did not receive the the promise in their lifetime. But they were people who were willing to do all kinds of stuff, all kinds of crazy stuff. For a larger, for a larger purpose, and as they're crawling around, uh, living in holes in the ground, caves—that's what Hebrews eleven says. <laughs> as they are destitute, Hebrews eleven says, "Ain't none of those people enjoying that." So, in that sense, none of them have their heart in it, because it's really hard. But it's hard for a more noble and higher, higher purpose. So that's that's my take on that. Now, what about? Though, knowing that you are supposed to go to a specific place, that you're called to a specific place. Okay. Okay. Well. I mean, there's something, I, I, I think there's something to say that God would tell you to serve maybe as a missionary, but you have this choice or this choice, and neither one of them is wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What were you saying, Zach? Well, I was just saying, as far as knowing, you know, the different roles of God, those are the types of things. The door shutting is the thing you know after the fact. You know, mm. okay, that was God's will because that door shut and I didn't get Okay. Mm-hmm. That happened to my brother in law. Um, mm. He had everything lined up to go on a mission trip to Russia. And. 
You know, I, I did I did a series not that long ago on decision making and the will of God, <laughs> and uh, I had three three things that I said were ways that we uh, customarily make decisions that I said were false, erroneous ways to make decisions. So I'll just throw those out. One is feeling based decisions. So a decision is right because it feels right. Uh, a decision can feel right and still not be. So, and, but yet feeling-based is something that's very popular. You know, people talk about it all the time. And for every one of these, there's biblical language, but not accurate biblical language used. Like for feeling-based is you have a peace about it. And it's taken from Philippians 4, 7, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in, in Christ Jesus. But as I pointed out in that series, that's not talking about decision-making. Okay, so the idea that you have peace about something, therefore, that's God's confirmation that this is the right thing, is something to be very careful about. And then a second erroneous way is outcome-based. I'll know if the decision was right if it turns out well. But sometimes they don't turn out well. And they were still right. It was still the right decision. I mean, you've got you know guys like Jim Elliott going to Ecuador, and uh, he winds up killed, and his associates wind up murdered. Well, you know the outcome wasn't wasn't great. Is he's now got a widowed a widow, uh, does Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott? Some of you know her and her writings, uh, and his associates the same thing. So if you were to look at that, you'd say you know you knew it was dangerous. You knew it was. And then they went and got killed. One could make the case that was a pretty bad outcome. But it doesn't mean it was the wrong decision because, because of the outcome. The outcome doesn't determine that. And then the other one is opportunity-based decision-making. You know, there's an open door. We were talking about closed doors, but the fact that there's an open door doesn't mean it's one that you ought to necessarily go through. Uh, so if those are, you know, those are not airtight by any means. I, I say they're mostly erroneous, if not completely erroneous. So then what would be the, the proper approach? Does anybody just do me a favor? Somebody just try to remember. <laughs> but purpose-based decision-making. That you make your decisions based on purpose. Uh, or to put it in the language of what we're doing here, based on pursuing the mission. And if there's a need that I can fill that will advance the mission, then God will honor that. And you can make a decision like that with confidence. And you don't have to, you don't have to spend a lot of time worrying about it. If, and so Loretta, you know, is making a decision, 
to meet a need that will advance the mission. That's a purpose-based decision, even if it's not exactly what she wants to do. You know? So I just throw, I recommend that we think about using that rubric in making your own decisions or evaluating the decisions of others. Yeah. Please. Yes. So, I, do you see what I mean? Like, no, I do. Sure. You can look. You can say what you did, but it, to me, it sounds like it was opportunity. Well, it was an opportunity. Doors being closed. The schools kept pushing us further and further this way. Right. If a, if a door's closed, there's nothing you can do about it, right? So, if a door's closed, then I agree. I you don't get your visa, then you're not going there, right? right? Uh, if they don't want to sell it to you, <laughs> or you can't get the money, that's a that's a closed door. So, yeah, that's definitely something then that. Uh, God doesn't have for you at that time. Notice, I didn't say closed doors. I talked about open doors. <laughs> that you don't go through a door just because it opened. That doesn't mean that that was God opening that door, necessarily. If, it, if it's not going to advance the mission, the fact that God somehow, in a weird way, opened this door doesn't mean it's a God thing. And that's a, t- a lot of times what people do. They say, you know, just a series of circumstances happen, and next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm able to buy this boat for fifteen hundred bucks, and <laughs> it just had to be a God thing um, because the door opened in this sort of weird way. Well, it may or may not be a good decision for you to make. All I'm saying is, it's not a good decision simply because that door opened. But a closed door certainly, you can't keep beating your head against a closed door. So I can't go through that. I can't force that. And then opportunity-based. What, what I'm saying with opportunity-based is just because an opportunity presents itself doesn't mean that makes it the right decision. Now, opportunities present themselves all the time, as in the case of our building. But this wasn't the right decision simply because of the opportunity. And we didn't make the decision based upon that. Hey, we've got an opportunity. It was based on a lot more than that And then God presented us with a way to carry out what we had been planning to carry out for a lot of years. So uh, this was not an opportunity-based decision. It was an opportunity, but not an opportunity-based decision. So the deacons didn't get together and say, look at this, this must be a God thing. None of us did that. Look at the price, it must be a God thing. None of us did that. Thankfully, because we have had these discussions. (laughs) But we said, let's check it out. And then let's see, and let's evaluate it. And so we just evaluate it in a wisdom-based, purpose-based approach. Will this be a wise decision to help us achieve our purpose? That was the way we made the decision. Ed shaking his head because he was there, right? And then present that to the church. So, yes, it was an opportunity, but not an opportunity-based decision. Let me recommend a book to you that I recommended in that series. It's right on the top shelf there. It looks like we got about five copies of Decision-Making and the Will of God. If you don't have time to read that now, which wouldn't surprise me given that we're trying to beat you up with all this stuff, uh, but maybe put that on your, your reading list to read. That's a, a classic, and he deals with all the stuff we're talking about. He doesn't use the phrase purpose-based. He used his uh, wisdom 
of the way of wisdom is what he calls it, and making decisions through the way of wisdom. Uh, so it's called Decision Making in the Will of God, and the author is Gary Friesen. Gary Friesen. Any other comments about the uh, Loretta and Frank? Yeah, good. I want to talk about that for a minute. So, there's more of us than there are of you. (laughs) It's in the tollway zone. (laughs) Thank you, sir. No problem. (laughs) So, So, you know, we... We look at, we look, we, we try to find specifically what God wants me to do. And, st- and, 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 and how, how are you, again, how are you going to know that? How's God going to give that to you? What God's given us is his word. And he's given us the principles of his word that I simply have to live by. And then God in his providence lead you into specific areas of service. So I'm, I'm giving you my two cents that it is a mistake to spend a lot of time thinking about the particular thing, the dot, as some call it, the dot of God's will. And I've got to know that dot, that I'm in the center of God's will. <clears throat> because God's will in Scripture is not described that way. God's will in Scripture is described as following his revealed will as laid out in Scripture. And then he providentially leads you into circumstances where you can use your gifts and abilities to carry out the purpose that he's given us. And it's, it's, it is a very liberating thing if you take that. I think it's the right way more. But practically, 
There's a practical benefit. It's very liberating. So for myself, I can give you personal testimony. Uh, God wants me to be involved in his mission like he wants everybody to be involved in his mission. So now I've got to decide what are my gifts and abilities. And I'm going to train for, uh, I'm going to go to seminary to get as much Bible knowledge as I can. <clears throat> but I don't know that I'm going to be a pastor at that point. And I had people at our parent church saying, well, you know, you're going to seminary, so when are you going to get ordained? I said, well, I may never get ordained. What? You're going to seminary. You know, waste all that. But it's not up to me whether I get ordained. It's up to the church as to whether or not they're going to ordain me, as to whether or not I meet these, these qualifications. Well, what if you go to seminary for all those years and they, the church doesn't think you meet those? Well, then I won't do that. I haven't wasted any time learning the Bible. I'll serve God in a different capacity. And God in his providence will take that and he will move me in providentially in, in the direction he wants. And I'm simply open to that. So I'm just going to serve God. I'm going to serve God where he has me, using the gifts he's given me. And then I'm going to let him providentially lead me into various circumstances where that service can be utilized. And so that was what I did. And it's it, very liberating. So I just go to seminary and then, you know, God in his providence led the way he led. But I was on staff at the church for years. And then the question is, well, you know, where does God want you as a, as a pastor? Does he want you? And I'm just telling you guys absolutely straight up, I didn't agonize that a day. Never. Never did I think about, should I go here or should I go there or should I do this? Because I was serving God. And I was using my gifts and abilities and using them the best I knew how. And then he can providentially lead in that. And then lo and behold, you know, they decide to kick us out <laughs> to, start, to start another church. And there were times, you know, where people were looking for a pastor and, you know, there was, a, there was an opportunity. And so you just, you know, evaluate, can I be of more help here than there, like Billy was saying? And, you know, I can do six of one or half dozen of the other. God will be pleased with either one of them. So I didn't have to sweat the decision a whole lot. So I'm, I'm trying to just impress upon you. Think about a paradigm like that that just says, I serve God where I am with the gifts that he's given to the best of my ability, and then he providentially leads. And you don't need to stay up at night worrying about the dot, the specific place that he, he has you. I mean, every guy here and, and myself, all of us, always, could be thinking about what else might I be doing or should I be doing. And if you get into that mode, that will never end if you think about it. Theoretically, that would never end. Because there's always going to be potentially something else, right? So the question is, is am I doing God's will? And what is God's will? If you're married, God's will is for you to be a husband according to the way the Bible describes it. If you have children, it's for you to be a father the way the Bible describes it. As a member of God's church, his will is for you to be a servant in his church to advance his mission. I mean, that's what he says in his will, the book he wrote on it. So let's look at the roles 
that have providentially been assigned to me and then I should seek to carry them out the way God says in his will. And then he'll providentially lead uh, in, in the same direction or in other directions. God can move you. I mean, think about that. Relocating. How would you make a decision to relocate? You know, for many people, it's, you know, they spend a lot of time wigging out thinking about relocating. Um, I'm just suggesting to you that you don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. <laughs> um, God can providentially relocate you. If you get a job transfer and you have to go, then the decision is made pretty easily, right? If you've got a parent in another state who is in ill health and they need, and, and they need your help, then you've got to be looking at ways to go and do that. That's God providentially moving you. You may have health issues yourself that require you to go somewhere other than Michigan. You know, to a different climate. Okay, God can providentially move you for that. Lots of ways for God to, to move you. But I don't think you should spend a whole lot of time thinking about where am I going to move. When you move, you should move for ministry. When you move, you should move for the mission. And if you do that, hear me, guys, you will always be in God's will, wherever you are. And so you don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's my simplistic take on it. Please feel free to push back, really. But I'm just giving you my personal testimony that that's how it's, it's my understanding of the way God's laid out Scripture. He gives you these principles. He gives us the mission. Pursue the mission. And then in his sovereign providence, he moves the chess pieces around. Okay? All right, look at number two. What is the reign of God, and why does it demand a personal response? So out of your reading and the scriptures and all of that, what would you come up with? What, how would you define the reign of God, and why does it demand a personal response? Yeah, I jump in, man. I wrote the question, I answered it backwards, I should say, because I really was unsure what the reign of God was, but I kind of think I have a coming to my answer. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. What did you guys come up with? Creator, sustainer, planets, life, and much too much more for me to even think about about his reign. Because yeah. everything has to answer to God before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Good. Yes. We'll move on to the next guy. Go ahead. Okay. If you're going to quote me. <laughs> you, you, I disagree with you. It must be summed up in words. So 
Well, I, I think there's three words. I thought there were three words. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. Hmm. Good. Yeah, good. Yep. Sir. Sure. There's a there's a lot of complexity about the kingdom of God. Hey, this is the promised land for us, man. But, I mean, you'd have to re-understand all the way that God ever made prophecies and promises to start saying that that's good in the Bible. So it seems like the way that what we're doing now is we are we are I mean, God is through the church So when you talk about reign, you're always talking about a king, somebody who's ruling, somebody who's reigning, right? So what is the reign of God? I mean, it's just that God, it's God's rule. And ultimately, through that rule, God wins. But, but his reign is just God's rule. And in the future, God's going to rule through a kingdom that's going to be established. And the Bible predicts that, and it's not here yet is what Zach is saying. But but God's still ruling. You know, and so I'll allow what I was saying this morning in our, our first hour about, you know, even the devil and the demons and everything are under God's sovereign rule. So God's ruling his world. But he's not ruling his world through the kingdom. Now the kingdom will come in the in the future. So what's the reign of God? I mean to me it's just that God rules. And uh, what, uh, why does it demand a personal response? And here's where it gets a little tricky. You have to think about it. But um, 
God, we have to ask ourselves, what did God make us for? What did God make humanity for? There are a lot of ways to answer that, but one way to answer it is we were made for worship. We were made to be worshipers. And so God reveals himself as the ruler, and then we are to worship him because of his kingship, because of his rule. So why does it demand a a response? Because God does it. God made the world to rule over the world for the purpose of worship. So the response that's demanded, and when you looked at those Psalms, Psalms 47, Psalm 47, Psalm 95, Psalm 103, those were the three scripture passages. If you remember, there was always this mixture of God's kingship and God's creation. You know, God made, created, so that he would be seen as king. And then the response in all of those was to be praise of God. Praise God, because he's the king, because he's the creator. Worship God. So what's the response to be? It's to be worship of the one who reigns, of the one who rules. All right, take a look at number three. What are the possible consequences of not having a grasp of the big picture? This is an important question, I think, so let's, let's chat about it. I think, uh, to like go back to number like three ties into two for me. Okay. Because the way that I looked at it, not having a vast knowledge um, of, of Christianity itself, but I know it's, it's what I believe in. I, I looked at the reign of God, I always just I think the royalty, right? Mm, That's yeah. just the way that I tie it in. Sure. And the way that I myself <clears throat> understand it was that, like you said, God created it. So obviously, God is the king. Mm. Think of royalty, and you think that they're ruler over a land, mm-hmm. and usually it's within walls. Yeah. And in order to get, you know, over the moat into the <laughs> walls, you have to say that you are a worshiper of the king, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then therefore you have to work for the king, mm-hmm. and a part of your money goes towards the king. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at the consequences, and then you look at your personal response, well, I look at it as God being a king, like, like you said, in our hearts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and you make a decision whether to follow him or not yeah. within your heart. Mm-hmm. And when you make that decision to follow him with your whole heart, he opens the door and lets you into it. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you talk about possible consequences in the big picture, mm-hmm. well, if you and your heart don't make that decision, mm-hmm. then ultimately you'll be judged and you won't be let into the kingdom door. Okay. Yeah, good. And that's the way I help myself. That's good. I think that's good. You know what Zach was yeah. saying? Zach was saying earlier that God is calling people that are going to be part of this future kingdom. Yeah. But you won't be part of it if you don't respond to the king as the king and submit to the king. So, yeah, that's one of the consequences. Very good. What else do you guys come up with? What are the... Mm. And we'll never be able to truly look in the mirror and 
It's accurate, sure. Good, thank you. What are the, what did you guys come up with? If, you're, uh, if you don't know the big picture, then yeah. you, you might not be as effective as you okay. should be. Okay, so you might be, you might be saved. You might be a member of the kingdom, the future kingdom. But how effective are you going to be if you don't see the big picture? Right? Ed? Yeah, good. If you don't know what the overall purpose is, you could be chasing your tail on a bunch of different lesser purposes, right? So that's another. Yeah. Listen, churches, churches do it all the time. That's why you guys have heard me say, you know, Church ministries are like government programs. You can start them, but you can never get rid of them. And that's why you should be careful about starting. Because once you got it, you got it, baby. So therefore, you ought to make sure that it helps. it's helping you achieve your purpose. Uh, otherwise, you could just be chasing around all kinds of lesser things that don't fit into this big picture because you don't know what it is. Well, here, let me give you a, a false teaching that sounds right. And, and this is not the worst false teaching you could ever do, okay? But nevertheless, it's false. Uh, I, one way to put it is, here's a, here's a consequence. If you don't have a grasp of the big picture, you can end up substituting secondary purposes for primary purpose or mistaking secondary things for primary things because you don't know the big picture. So here's an example. I mean, well, what is the primary thing? What is the, ultimately, if you're going to put it in a phrase, what is the purpose for the world, for life, for everything? Okay, that, that's, that's right, to bring glory to God. Well, that's the primary purpose. Now, if somebody were to say then the purpose of the church is to win souls, that sounds, I mean, that's a noble thing. That's why I say you could, you know, you could do a lot worse <laughs> than that, for sure. But is that the purpose of the church? The answer is no. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. You say, well, okay, how big of a deal is that? Well, it can become a big deal. Because now you've got this particular aspect of the pursuit of the glory of God, namely evangelism, winning people to Jesus, a hugely important thing. But you've made it the thing. When in fact it's a means to an end, it's not the end. And, and that means if you substitute that as the thing, you now can end up not pursuing other things that were supposed to be means to the real end, the glory of God. So you've got churches who do that. They're all about evangelism. And as a result of making that the purpose they neglect some other extremely important things like, yes, there's evangelism, but there's also edification, the building up of those who are one to Jesus. That's why you've got churches that are huge on giving the gospel, having people pray a prayer, 
But then in terms of seeing them grow in Christ, that doesn't happen. And it's a result of making a secondary thing, a means, the end. I'll give you another way that that could go and does go. Not only can it mean you make that the thing and so now you neglect other means to the end of glorifying God, but if you make evangelism the purpose rather than the glory of God, then you may fall into using methodology for evangelism that falls short of bringing glory to God. I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons that you see the kind of stuff you see happening in a lot of our churches. Because people become convinced that what matters is is that you're reaching people. That matters, but it's not what ultimately matters. What ultimately matters is did you glorify God while you were reaching those people? Which then requires a definition of the glory of God and all of that. But all I'm saying is those are possible consequences of missing the big picture. That secondary um, objectives are substituted for the primary objective of bringing glory to God. You guys got any others? But it's but it but seems like it's been watered down. but the gospel is not what's central. It's the it's the social aspects, which I have great appreciation for the social aspects. I'm sure we all do of the Salvation Army and places like that. But as a Christian objective, you would want to make sure that you have the gospel central to that. And it's easy to lose that. And I just read a phrase this this week that said a lot of organizations are giving quote less and less gospel to more and more people. Less and less gospel to more and more people. Because through the social aspects, we're reaching and feeding a lot more people, which is a great thing. But it needs to be coupled with, explicitly coupled with, you know, the, the gospel. And if you don't do that, then you can lose your way. That's good. Thanks, Dave. I'll give you one more that uh, I had, and that is, one of the possible consequences, if you don't have a grasp of the big picture, is that uh, you can end up individually, personally, reducing the size of your purpose to the size of your life. You reduce the size of your purpose to the size of your life. You see, man, it is really a cool thing to know <laughs> that the particular things going on in my life are not all there is that this fits into something much larger, right? But if you don't get the big picture and you don't think in terms of the big picture in your own life and in the, in, and in the life of the church, you know, in your own life, you can end up reducing the size of your purpose to the size of your life. And you know, the, the Bible is laid out in a way that it is showing us that you have a place in God's plan. Joel White, I think it was, did a, I thought he did a good job explaining this. 
because he talked about the four spiritual laws. Some of you are familiar. And the very first of the four spiritual laws is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And so he was making the case that that centers things on, on your life, right? But, but he's saying it's not, it's not your life. It's, it's God's plan and how you fit into that plan. That's the big picture. And if you don't see it that way, then you'll end up being self-consumed, self-centered, and reducing the size of your purpose to the size of your, your own individual life. Pretty miserable way to live. All right, look at the fourth one here. Think uh, back over the last year. How did God express his rule in everyday life for you? So God's ruling, God's sovereign. How did you see that in the last year? I saw it in things like um, my wife and I will get our schedule together every Monday. And sometimes we look at it and we go, well, that's impossible. <laughs> I mean, really. So Monday's my day off, and one of the things we do on my day off is she and I go, okay, what's, what do we got? And we go through the stuff, and there's, you know, there's, the funer- there's a funeral, or there's a, you know, this, or there's a family thing, or there's whatever it is, and you put all the stuff together, and you go, well, that ain't going to happen. There's no, it's impossible. And uh, we have learned to make wise adjustments as we're able, of course, but also we have learned that our sovereign God can move the chess pieces around. And we're always amazed at how he does that. And so by Wednesday, you know, somebody's called and says, you know, I don't need you to do that after all, or I can't make it to that thing, which means we can now fit this thing in. I mean, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing how it falls together. But at the beginning of the week, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And in God's sovereignty, it's just in, in, in life, in everyday life, just seeing God control the circumstance and learning to trust him with that has been important to me and important to my wife. How about you guys? Called your attorney. Yes. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> We're working it out. Right. I, uh, I took the Lord's name in vain. That is a habit. I gave back up and I was walking along. I took about four steps and I just stopped. That was not it. Mm-hmm. 
I internalized my father swearing mm-hmm. my entire life. Mm-hmm. But now as an adult, I have a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. And that's my response. Mm-hmm. That's my response. Mm-hmm. But there was nobody around. Like, I didn't swear at a friend. I didn't swear at my wife. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I was in a field by myself. Mm-hmm. The only sin was against God. Mm-hmm. cool man really very cool Carl thank you thanks for that testimony you know when I was talking about my schedule being full a lot of my schedule gets filled by me having to correct stuff that Pastor Matt says to people but uh, but <laughs> I'm kidding <laughs> this is on this is being recorded isn't it <laughs> uh, that's excellent good sir Yeah. Uh, okay. 
Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were available, and you might not have been so available. Gotcha. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Good, good, good. Excellent examples. Oh, no, oh, you brought your cats with you? So it's you and Cassie and the cats. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll give one more. The, uh, you know, the situation with the building we, we talked about earlier, but, uh, you know, God's sovereignty, for heaven's sake, you know, just uh, getting us here, putting out before the church, we need $100,000. In, in three weeks. And then just saying, we, we had no earthly idea what was going to happen with that. If we get $5,000, if we get thirty, if we, we had just no idea. So you just have to give that to God and just see what he's going to do. And, and then he does it. And then for us to get a grant from the foundation and then to get a second grant from the foundation because we needed more money, that's just that's just God doing that. And it's a great, it's, it's just a very uh, instructive thing, an edifying thing to be able to step back and just watch God do that. Uh, and he's done all that in the, last, in the last year here. So praise the Lord. Any others? Sir? I'd say two things. One, in God directed, I've been in a very clear way. And then number two, in the past year I've had sort of a major health issue. Yeah, yeah. And I never really said why me or, you know, I know God's in control. Mm-hmm. Amen. Having, having been taught and immersed in the idea that God's on the throne, when you get to something like that, it really comes in handy, doesn't it? <laughs> because you know he's, he's controlling this whole thing. Yeah, probably the biggest fear is something happens to me like, yeah, sure. Right. Please. Um, pretty profoundly in school, I have noticed, obviously, with natural pregnancy. Yeah. Um, because prior to that, there were concerns that may not be able to happen. Hmm. So just that alone hmm. in itself, and when you came, we were thinking about names, for our son, mm-hmm. and uh, we had been daily doing a verse or a, a Bible study every night. We do it together, like the Bible app on the Kindle, and uh, they got fans on there you can do, and they have a verse of the day every mm-hmm. single time. And that's what they resort to study on is that verse. Mm-hmm. And so we read the verse and put it away, and then we went and I got the mail. In the mail, I had a handwritten letter from my grandmother from Florida, hmm. and uh, she doesn't usually do that, hmm. so it was, it was odd yeah. that she did. Well, I don't know if anybody knows, but my full name is William McNeese Cochran, the fifth, and therefore I'm having a son, and therefore the family thinks it's got to be the sixth. so we've been going back and forth on that, whether we wanted to do that. I, it was never a huge thing of me to do that, yeah. um, but it was kind of expected. Um, but in her letter, she had broken down all five generations of mm. men. Mm. And, and she's not a profound Christian at all, but she broke it down, and there was a paragraph for the first, and it 
second, and it ended. And, he was mm. and the third killed himself with mm. a bottle, murdered him, suicide, because mm. he was an alcoholic. And then she, uh, my father said, uh, and he was not an alcoholic, right? And then she ended with me and said, you're not an alcoholic. Mm. And in my mind, all I can think of is God mm. working through yes. my family the entire time, mm. and that maybe it didn't happen in one lifetime, mm. in the first, mm. but... great testimonies, guys. Thank you. Very encouraging. Anybody else? Take a look at number five. Uh, which areas of your life do you wish you had veto power? <laughs> okay. Oh, a retirement? That's good. That's a, that's a good example, though. Good. Thank you. Anybody else? Something going on that...
Well, I feel like I should just jump in and say something for both of you guys there. Uh, should I give up everything and you know follow God? The answer, the short answer, to that is yes. But uh, that means then, in all the decisions I make about how I use the resources that God's entrusted to me, I have to make sure they're used for the purpose of following God. So that doesn't mean then you go and spend all of your money on missionaries or on some church, direct church-related thing or something like that. Uh, all of us are to use all of ourselves and all of our resources, to use your phrase, to follow, to follow the Lord. But in raising my child and educating my child, that's a portion of that. So what we have to do is then think about, all right, what does following God mean in my roles as a father now, as I have Luke? And, and how do I need to provide for Luke's, reasonably for Luke's future? And if you do that, then you're following God that way. Sometimes we think the only way to follow God is the mission field or something directly through the church. And it's following God to prepare, back to what Zach was saying, to prepare my child to be a follower of God, to be a productive vessel in God's vineyard, in God's mission and that includes getting letting them get an education and that kind of stuff so so that's the way to think about it you know and don't feel bad that you're not giving all of your money to missions or to the church Uh sounds really bad for a pastor to be saying i should make people feel bad about not giving all their money to but no really Uh, those are means for you to follow god and for you to be responsible before god in what you're doing with your with your children. All right, look at the last one here. How does the concept of the reign of God and that one-page article from Piper that missions begins and ends in worship, how does that shape our understanding of the mission of, of the church? I, uh, I wrote down uh, uh, three things that I grappled with as we went through this and uh, to try to word it accurately and uh, I may not I may have failed but this is what I came up with so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw these out to you guys and you know take them or or not and and push back on them correct them but going through this whole issue reading the articles looking at the scriptures looking at God's reign and how it relates to the church here's uh, here's the three statements I came up with God's purpose is the display of his glory. That's first. So first you start with God's purpose. And that is the display of his glory. That's his purpose. But how does, how does his reign uh, relate to that? It's this. Here's the second statement. God's reign is the display of his glory. By ruling over all creation. God's reign is the display of his glory by ruling over all creation. So the first one deals with the purpose. The purpose is the display of his glory. 
And then how does his reign fit into that? Well, his reign displays his glory by his ruling over all creation. Remember, God's glory is the display of his character. That's what God's glory is. So when God rules then, he's displaying his power, his, create, his creative activity, his sovereignty. And so this is, his reign is a way that he displays his glory. That's what I'm saying. So God's reign is the display of his glory by his rule over creation. And then third, God's mission is to display his glory in and through his people. Is to display his glory in and through his people. And the reason, I mean, that all sounds pretty simple, but the reason I had to grapple with that is because God's reign applies to everybody, believer and unbeliever, right? See, God rules everybody. So somehow then you have to move from God's reign <clears throat> to the mission that's related to people coming under his rule gladly, <laughs> intentionally, voluntarily. And how does that happen? That happens through the mission. And so, otherwise, if you just leave it at God's reign, then you haven't differentiated between those people who are being ruled by God because they want to and those people who are being ruled by God simply because they have to. And everybody, hear this phrase, everybody works for God. Even people who don't want to. Everybody is being ruled by God. Even people who don't realize it. So, God's reign is the display of his glory. That's why I say it that way. Over all creation. But then the mission is for God to create a people who gladly submit themselves to his rule and who display his character. And so that's why I say it that way. His mission is to display his glory, his character in and through his people. So it's calling people out of the world and to God He's ruling over them, but there's a difference in his rule over them than his rule over the unbeliever. Because the believer invites it. The believer wants it. The believer delights in it. <clears throat> Whereas the unbeliever chafes under it. He's still being ruled. <laughs> okay. So somehow in the way we define this, we have to differentiate between God's rule over unbelievers and his rule over, over believers. So with that... Um, Look down at the very, uh, look at um, the form of response. If you look at page 21, I don't know whether you had a chance to do these or not, but at the very bottom of page 21, it says, more skillful ministry. In order to facilitate the development of a mission statement for your church, which will happen in issue 6, you'll be asked as part of your assignment in issues 1 through 5, to record your own convictions. A mission statement worksheet's provided in issue six to pull these thoughts together from issues one through five. So I don't know if you saw that. If you didn't, I wanted you to see that because that's important because issue six is right in the middle of this curriculum. And one of the things they want us to come away with then 
is how would I put together a mission statement for the church? And in each of the lessons, you'll be building a component of that. So this first one says, what convictions should a biblically-based mission statement reflect about God's plan? Did anybody see that? Did anybody? It's okay if you didn't, but did anybody get a chance to do that? See that? Yeah? What did you come up with, Carl? Sure. That God supports no nation. Church, we are no more special than the next, but rather we have a responsibility to guard your church from hmm. and the reign of God who deserves our love through faith and repentance. He will change us according to his word and his will all through the world. Hey, I'm going with Carl's mission statement. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> no, it's good, man. Thank you. Yeah, very good. And, you know, in, in keeping with part of what Carl said there, you know, would you guys agree from what we've looked at in this issue then that any biblically-based mission statement about God's plan has to be intentionally focused on God? Right? I mean, to put it, state the op- what should be obvious. <laughs> um, but, for example, what if, you, what if you had a mission statement that said, uh, I've, actually, I've actually seen this, not as a mission statement, but as a slogan for a church. It's all about people. Well, where does God fit into this? <laughs> okay. Now, people matter to God, obviously. But first you want it to be focused on God. So God-focused. And, and then in addition to that, it, it needs to be stated in a way that it, that it describes movement, for lack of a better term, describes movement toward God's purpose. It's focused on God, but then talks about what we do. That's what I mean by movement, action, toward God's purpose. So if it's going to be a biblically-based mission statement, it's going to be God-centered, God-focused, and it's going to contain at least one action word <laughs> that moves us toward God's purpose. That, that's just a couple of thoughts that will help us frame our thoughts as we try to develop a mission statement. What else do you have? You know, it's interesting, like, as you were saying that, I was thinking about you know, what you've said and you've heard other places, too, you know, the church is this instrument for his plan to move forward. And I never really think about the gospel moving forward through the church and mm. discipleship and mission. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, people look at a local body, they should see God's reign. Related to that, in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, it's all about, as you know, speaking in tongues. So what's that got to do with this? Well, you know, it's in that passage where Paul says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, do the message thing. But uh, he says, you know, you people are really acting crazy in what you're doing. God's not a God of disorder. God's a God of order. As you speak, it should be one at a time, at most by two. Someone should interpret. You guys remember all that. But then in the middle of all that, Paul says, And what if an unbeliever comes in to your midst and they see what you're doing? 
and they can't understand what you're saying. You can't understand what you're saying, let alone them. So how are, how are they going to be helped? So you're not edifying believers and you're not evangelizing unbelievers. But then he says, but if you speak in a way that they understand, they will fall on their face and they will say, God is truly among you. So when people see us, to Zach's point, they should see, it should be obvious to them that God is among us. And not just then, to take it another step, not just among us, but God is ruling us. That we are gladly under the reign of God and submitting ourselves to God. And that is what local churches should display to, to the world. People should say these are people who live by this and, they, and, and they're happy to do it. And they follow it even when it hurts. And they humble themselves and admit they're wrong, you know, even though that's, superna- that's, that's not the natural tendency. So good, Zach. Thank you. All right, anybody else? We've hit our hour and a half. You know, I have heard that somewhere. That's plagiarism. <laughs> well, you know, our, our mission statement is, is that. Uh, but, uh, uh, but the thing about that is it's a mission statement that's really designed for to be understandable there's a there's actually a load in that and we've tried to whittle it down but those those terms are all loaded right so we exist to do three things help people learn about god love him and others and live for his purpose i mean just take that last one live for his purpose i mean that's loaded right and the truth is people who people who read that somebody coming to our church who isn't biblically informed they don't know what that purpose is but if I go in now and fill in every one of those, that becomes several pages of what learning about God means and loving him and others looks like and living for his purpose. We've been talking about the purpose here. It's to bring glory to God. Well, what does that mean? It means to display his character. Well, how does that happen? And man, you just go, right? So what we tried to do is take all of this and try to whittle it down in a way that it's in bite-sized chunks for people to you know, get an idea, but then hopefully if they come to the church and engage in the teaching that we offer, they start to fill in those blanks. So, yeah, I like your, I like your mission statement. It's good. All right. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, then uh, next week we don't meet because of the adult Christmas fellowship. But two weeks from today, I'm planning on this meeting, and that may get difficult, I don't know, uh, but come if you can. It's the 22nd, you know, so it's around, it's around Christmas. But, so if some of you are out of town or something like that, you know, so be it. But we're going to try to plow ahead and get uh, four or five of these done before we have our next community group start up. Then after that six-week block of community groups, we'll then pick up where we left off, okay? So issue two, two weeks from tonight. Thanks.